Thank you so much, Dan and Tiffany and choir. You guys are busy. You've got Christmas music you're working on and Sunday morning music you're working on, and now we've added Sunday night music you're working on. But we are, we are grateful. Those are beautiful pieces, and thank you for leading us in worship with those. We're in the Acts of the Apostles. We're in Acts chapter 5. Go back to Acts chapter 1 for just one minute. We're going to get you caught up in about three minutes. In Acts chapter 1, we are awaiting the ascension of Jesus, and he says, go to Jerusalem and stay there, and when you're empowered by the Spirit from on high, then you shall be my witnesses. Verse 8, chapter 1, we'll begin in Jerusalem, then in Judea, Samaria, and the remotest part of the earth. Then we have the ascension, and then we have the replacement of Judas with Matthias as an apostle. And then in chapter 2, we have the tongues, the fiery tongues, the spirit falls, and Peter gives us that first great apostle sermon in chapter 2. And then in chapter, then we have great baptisms, and the church is growing. And then chapter 3, on the way to the temple, they healed the lame beggar. You remember, silver and gold have I none, but what I do give you. In the name of Jesus, arise and walk. So that's chapter 3. And then they, uh, the people are amazed. And Peter preaches another sermon. Same thing. God was at work in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Peter and John are arrested. And they're warned. They better stop preaching that Jesus message. And then they are released. And then towards the, the end of chapter 4, where... You left off with Brad last week. Then there were folks in the congregation who were very generous. They were selling pieces of property, and they were laying that money at the apostles' feet. And the apostles were taking care, verse 35 of chapter 4, they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as any had need. And then that beautiful example, if you need an example of someone who did that in the church, and Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who's also called son of encouragement, Barnabas, by the apostles. And he who owned a tract of land, and he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, we're all caught up. Now, <laughs> chapter 5. Chapter 5 is one of the strangest stories it is an unsettling story. It's not a nice story. It's not a kind story. It's kind of one of those texts of terror that are, I'm not going to try to explain it way. What happens, happens. And it's an odd story. And, you know, you, you kind of come away thinking, wow, really? It, it, it's a tough, tough story. It starts out telling us about Ananias and Sapphira. If Barnabas was the positive example of giving to the church, to the community, then Ananias and Sapphira are the anti-example, the sharp contrast. They too, as we shall see, sell a piece of property. They pledge 100% of the proceeds to go to the church. Well, it's, it's a difficult story. The first six verses the apostles deal with Ananias, 
And in 7 through 11, they deal with his wife, Sapphira. In fact, interestingly enough, when Luke is writing, he often pairs men and women together in a parallel fashion and kind of gives them equal time. Well, he gave them equal time when it was good news, but tonight he gives them equal time when it is bad news. In fact, we find that he pairs them together quite often, but now we see here they are in a difficult situation. Well, let's look at the first three verses. But a certain man named Ananias, now there's no one in the nursery named Ananias, (laughs) with his wife Sapphira, there's no little girl named Sapphira, sold a piece of property And they, hey, just between us, look at verse 2. They kept a little back. They kept a little back for themselves. His wife had full knowledge. You need to know that. And Luke wants you to know that. And they brought a portion of it, not what they kept back. But they brought a portion of it. And just like we're told twice at the end of chapter 4 that those who are being generous laid it at the apostles' feet for their discretion to give it to whom they saw had a need. They followed the same pattern of the generous givers. They lay a portion of the money from the sale of the piece of land at the apostles' feet. They are doing it just like Barnabas above. In verse 37, but they kept a little back. I would tell you don't tell, but Peter knows it anyway. They didn't want Peter to know it. We're not told how Peter knows it. We assume that he knows it by a revelation from the Spirit. For The Spirit has been driving, leading, descended upon this community and especially the apostles. And so all of a sudden, Peter seems to know, much like Elijah knows that Gehazi's duplicity in accepting money from Naaman the leper, well, somehow these men of God just know and he knows. And well, look at verse 3. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit. See, that's the problem, the Spirit now. And to keep back some of the price of the Lamb. Why has Satan filled your heart? Well, there's someone else, Luke 22, 3, that this same writer tells us Satan filled his heart. This person also was wrestling with material possessions. You know him. His name is Judas. Judas is the parallel to Ananias in some sense in that they both struggle with materialism and, well, they both are said to have had their heart filled by Satan. So Peter asked him, why have you kept back some of the price of land? Some translations say, why have you embezzled the money? Why have you allowed Satan to enter your heart? You see, the community was at one. There was, they were indwelt by the Spirit as a community. They were at complete harmony. 
They were sharing and helping and all was good until Satan filled Ananias' heart. The community is broken. It was not just a sin about money. It was a sin about breaking the unity of the spirit that dwelt in the young church. So now, for the first time, Satan entered the young church. Well, look at verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it you have conceived this deed in your heart? Have you, you have not lied to men, but to God? Translation, you didn't have to sell the land. And after you sold the land, you could have kept all the money if you wanted to. By that, I infer, you could have brought half the proceeds to the church and laid the apostles' feet and said, Peter, we're going to need the other half to take care of some of our own business. We're going to give you half. In fact, Peter's saying, we didn't ask you to do this. You decided to do it. The proceeds from the sale were yours. You could have represented your way in any way that was the truth, but you had duplicity in your heart. You followed Barnabas, and you acted like Barnabas, and you wanted us to believe that you had sold the piece of property for the amount that you laid at our feet. And here's the hard part, verse 5. And as he heard these words, those words You've not lied to men, but you have lied to God. As he heard those words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. I told you it was a strange story. In fact, there's no other story in Acts like this. Let me go ahead and tell you, there's no other story in the New Testament like this. It's a strange story story. What does he die from? Does he die from the shock and the guilt and the embarrassment? Really, to me, there's a real sense of God's judgment in this, that in fact, God has deemed him to die. That at the command of the apostle, divine judgment takes place. Not Peter doing the judging. Peter's making the proclamation. God's doing the judgment. And so, he dies. The young men arose, verse 6, and covered him up. And after carrying him out, they buried him. They buried him within three hours. I've done some rush funerals before, but that's fast. Three hours is fast. The Jews are known for burying quickly, but not that quickly. In fact, something had to be awry for that kind of rush job, usually a criminal or a suicide or something like that. And here we have it dead. Now, there elapsed an interval of about three hours. And his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now, that phrase doesn't mean she didn't know about the money scam. She knew about that. He's already told you she knew about that. She didn't know that Ananias had dropped dead. And so Peter questions her. She gets the next series of verses, just like Peter had questioned her husband. In fact, Peter gives her a chance to repent. He gives her a chance to tell the truth. Did you sell that piece of property for this price? And she said, yes, 
That was the prize. She conspired with her husband, Ananias. They agreed on the amount they were going to say. They put the rest in their pocket. Peter questioned her alone. She thought, man, it better match up with my husband. She didn't know he was already buried. Peter said to her, why is it you have agreed together to put the Holy Spirit, the Lord, to the test? You see that language of the Spirit? The Spirit has fallen, the tongues of fire, the flames of fire. They've spoken in this other language that they did not know. The Spirit was indwelling the community. The Spirit was bringing harmony to the community. And now Satan had filled the community against the Spirit. So this is an offense against the Spirit. It's about the money, yes, but it's about more than the money, too. For in the money... The Spirit has been put to the test. Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried out and buried her beside her husband. Again, the judgment of God against those who have brought a brokenness to the unity of the spirit that was in the church. You know, the odd thing, look at verse 10. Luke's so masterful. Did you catch it? And she fell immediately at his what? Feet. Where did they lay the money? At his feet. Don't miss it. Luke's good. He's sly. In fact, he told you twice at the end of chapter 4, they laid the money at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, he laid the money at the apostles' feet. Ananias came in and laid the money at the apostles' feet. And now he tells you, in place of the money which has been rejected by God, now they themselves are dead at the feet of the apostles. In great fear came upon the whole ecclesia and upon all who heard these things. You see, the church is a holy body. It is the realm of the Spirit of God. And the power of this spiritual presence in their midst, the young community, they've been working miracles and they've witnessed fearlessly even when they were told to pipe down and be quiet. They were blessed with incredible growth, baptizing thousands and adding to their number. The spirit is behind the miracles and the unity. And well, now they threaten that unity and there was a great fear upon the whole Church. Do you notice that word church? That's the first time Acts has used the word ecclesia, the word church. Church is a word for those who are the gathered assembly, the called out ones. We come to know ourselves through Paul uses this word more than is used in the, the Gospels or used in the Acts of the Apostles, though it is used more in the Acts. But this is the first time we have the word church. All the believers went, wow, such harsh judgment purified the people of God at an early, early stage. The gathered religious community. Now, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira's soul? 
I don't know. The text doesn't say. I'm going to leave that to God. I do know it costs them their life. And after that, we'll leave it to the Lord, will we not? The same spirit that gave the community its growth, maintained its purity, and that's been Luke's point all along. This text does deal with money. And ultimately, the temptation for money ensnared Judas, and Luke likes to talk about it a lot. And the rich young man in Luke 18, and the rich fool in Luke 12, and it ensnared Ananias and Sapphira as well. One New Testament scholar wrote these words, and I thought they were bold but awfully powerful. Then and now, the mark of any Christian fellowship is the relationship of its members to material things. Well, that's a way to start off the Stewardship Sunday, isn't it? (laughs) I've never thought about it that way. Then and now, the mark of any Christian fellowship is the relationship of its members to material things. Because... We shouldn't be surprised at that scholar saying that. It's not all that new of a revelation. I think some rabbi by the name of Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. It is in our material possessions that our real priorities, our real heart, and our real mind are revealed. The church, when it's the church, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And disunity and duplicity and hypocrisy always hinder the work of the Spirit. In Acts 12 through 16, we have another summary statement. It's the third summary statement. It comes on the heels of the second summary statement that was in chapter 4 and verse 32 through 36. And this one, the other one was more about unity, and this one is talking about their healing. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all of one accord in Solomon's portico. And none of the rest dared associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly being added to their number. Don't you like that? The Spirit had dwelt among them every day in every way. They were adding to their number to such an extent that even they carried even the sick out on the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. You can see how Luke uses, how God uses, this terrible story about Ananias and Sapphira to bring unity and purity and fear in this early church and community. The apostles now go in higher esteem. They are empowered now that Satan had filled the heart of those they are gone, and the church is purified again, and now the apostles are empowered to do the great miracles 
in their midst. In fact, that one story about putting them when Peter walked by that just his shadow would be cast upon them, he doesn't tell us it healed them or it didn't. I think the implication is probably that it did. It reminds us of the woman in the Gospels with the issue of blood, and she couldn't really think Jesus was going to stop and heal her, so she thought she might just reach out and touch what? The hem of his garment. Just Peter's shadow. Now, in antiquity, the shadow was thought of more than the way we think of it. It was thought as an extension of the person. So if the hand touches, it's like the shadow touches. Now, I know you played this when you were a kid. You had a brother or sister, and you were in the sunshine, and you tried to stump on their shadow, didn't you? Because the only one that did that, you know, if you could stump their shadow, then they were dead, and you'd run around, and you'd, you'd have to keep running quickly so someone didn't stump your shadow because the shadow was the person. Got you. Well, the shadow was a person in antiquity like the child's game. They placed on pallets the people that Peter's shadow. It is an image of power and healing and unity. And then he tells us in the complete summation, man, people from all over came and they were healed. So, the church is growing in popularity. Do you think that really excites the high priests and the religious authorities? Are they delighted about the growth of this new Rabbi Jesus movement, this church, this ecclesia? Verse 17, but the high priest rose up along with all his associates at the sect, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles, and they put them in jail. And the angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates of prison, and taking them out, he said, go your way and stand and, and speak to the people of the temple and the whole message of this life. So they're growing in great popularity. The church has been purified at the cost of Ananias and Sapphira, the cost of their souls. I don't know. The healing is so much so that it's implied at least that Peter's shadow itself was powerful enough to heal people. And so the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, becomes jealous, and it's particularly the Sadducees. And they had already warned them after they had healed the laymen that they better stop talking about Jesus, especially putting his blood on their hands. And they were filled with jealousy. And so they decided to put him in jail put a stop to this. You put the apostles in jail. Now, you see the, the odd thing? Now, how was the church treating the apostles? Look at, look at verse 11. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dared associate themselves with the apostles. They held them in such high esteem. The people, the believers, didn't want to get too close to the apostles, having seen what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, but the high priest wasn't afraid, and he just throws them in jail. Don't you love the adversative conjunctions of Scripture? Look at verse 19. There's your adversative conjunction. But... The high priest throws them in jail, but, but what? But an angel of the Lord. Now, here's what's funny. That can't be because Sadducees don't believe in angels. Pharisees might a little bit. 
Sadducees, they don't exist. Somebody forgot to tell God that the Sadducees don't believe in angels. I think it worked out that way on purpose, that it was the Sadducees who put them in jail, and they don't believe in angels. And so God decides, I'm going to use something they don't believe in. He said, an angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go your way. Stand and speak to the people in the temple this whole message of life. The whole message of this life. Well, next time. We're out of time. Where did it go? Who did what? I don't know. It's over. Next time, they're going to go to the prison to get them out, have a little trial, and they're not going to be in there because the angel let them out. The angel they don't believe in let them out. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded of honesty and truth and purity in this passage. And with that earliest church, we too need to have a healthy fear of the judgment of God. We too need to have our lives aright when it comes to material things, for those things reveal who we are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.